Yesterday I was explaining to you about why we have faith in Hinduism and the Hindu scriptures and that we rely on three types of proof in any field, whether it's the scientific field or whether it's the spiritual field. We rely on Pratyaksh Praman, Anuman Praman and also on Shabda Praman. Pratyaksh Praman means eyewitness proof. You saw it with your own eyes so you know it to be true. Or some kind of empirical evidence. You yourself have experienced it so you know it's a fact. Then Anuman Praman means that we deduce the existence of something else without directly seeing it but because of seeing two, three, four other things, we deduce that this other thing must also be like that. That is Anuman Praman. And then we have Shabda Praman, which is taking somebody else's word for it. Someone else who has direct proof of the existence of something, who says, I have seen it, and we say, okay, I believe you. So when it comes to God, we do rely on all three of these kinds of proof. Of course, the ultimate goal is to get Pratyaksh Praman for ourselves. Who wouldn't want to see God? If God exists, well, let's see. I want to see for myself. I want to talk to Him. I want to meet Him. But to get to that point where I'm qualified to get Pratyaksh Praman, I have to start by accepting someone else's word for it. If I don't believe what the scriptures and the saints tell me about God, why would I ever even have the hope that there is a God or that I could meet that God? Then why would I even try to meet Him? So the starting point is faith. I have faith that God exists even though I haven't met Him. But based on the teachings of the scriptures and the saints, I have that intelligent faith, logical faith, because I'm not now just going to sit back and say, okay, I believe you. Now I'm going to also follow the path outlined by them so that I can see God for myself. This is intelligent faith, and this is the faith we foster in Hinduism. So this Shabda Praman which we have in Hinduism is not exactly on the same level as the Shabda Praman which we have in science. Meaning scientists also take other scientists' word for certain things. We, ordinary people, take scientists' word for things that we have never seen. But the difference is that sometimes the scientists are wrong. Scientists used to think that the earth was the center of the universe and everything else revolved around the earth, a geocentric universe. They used to think the earth was flat. This is what the experts thought at a certain time and then they changed their mind. Oh no, the earth is round and it's not the center. It's not not the center of the universe, it's not even the center of our planetary system. It's a heliocentric solar system, so everything revolves around the sun. So science adapts, science updates. They might think one thing is right and then they have to make an adjustment. Oh no, it was close to right, but now it's more right. And in this way, science, scientific knowledge keeps expanding and evolving. But as I mentioned yesterday, it's always incomplete. 
scientific knowledge has never been perfected it has never been completed there's always more out there to know and the more you know then you sometimes you realize oh this other thing we thought we knew that's wrong so science is never a hundred percent right so the shabda praman in science when we take a scientist's word for something most of the time they may be right but sometimes they may be wrong but when it comes to the spiritual field the shabda praman that we rely on is of a higher class what is the number one shabda praman vedas ved are the original and ultimate authority on who is god what is the soul where did all of this come from all of those questions are answered first and foremost in the vedas so who wrote the vedas and why should we trust them ved says ved itself says nobody wrote vedas nishvasitamasya veda ved is an eternal power of god how was it produced god exhaled and the vedas was manifested you mean the book came out of god's breath no 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 not the book the book is produced here on earth for ordinary people like us so that we can read the vedas then what is ved originally if it's not a book it's the eternal knowledge knowledge is also a power of god so the vedas are produced in a book form on the earth planet and they weren't just produced 5000 years ago for the first time they keep being produced on this earth planet every time after there's a break then again god arranges to have them reproduced and every time they're reproduced on the earth planet it's in the same form no words are changed even so the ved is eternal someone might say well if they weren't written by any person then they were made by god right no vedas are apaurusheya it means they are not even created by god they came out of god because during mahapralaya when this whole physical existence is dissolved then vedas don't stay here in in the universe because the universe has been dissolved so they go into god again not the book but the actual power the divine it's an eternal divine power of god in fact vedo narayana sakshat vedavyas ji says vedas are sakshat bhagwan ved is a form of god himself so god is unlimited and one of his many powers is the power of knowledge and that power of knowledge is unlimited and eternal and divine so the vedas are an eternal power of god which he produces in this world from time to time whenever it's required so the vedas are also eternal but even god didn't invent them during mahapralaya they're stored you could say within god or they they exist within god and during srishti god produces them 
He sends them, manifests the Vedas in the world through the saints. He gives the knowledge of the Vedas or transfers the knowledge of the Vedas into Brahma's divine mind. Brahma gives that knowledge to the first rishis of the earth planet and they pass it on to their disciple saints who also have a divine mind. You need a divine mind to receive the knowledge of the Vedas. Eventually they produce it in a written form. So the books are not eternal, but the Vedas are eternal and they are equal to God himself. In addition to the Vedas, we have other eternal scriptures which are rewritten by saints from time to time like the Gita. Gita was not only written 5,000 years ago. Krishna tells the same Gita every time he comes. He has taken avatar uncountable times. So he's told the Gita uncountable times. The Mahabharata has been reproduced uncountable times. The Ramayana has been reproduced uncountable times. The Puranas are also eternal, divine scriptures. So all of these scriptures, they're based on the Vedas and they further explain what's in the Vedas. This is our Shabda Praman. The Shabda Praman that we rely on in material science, it starts out as speculation. Then they try to prove it right or wrong. Like I said, sometimes they succeed in doing that. Sometimes when they think they've succeeded, they later find out they were wrong. So it can be faulty. But the Shabda Praman of the Vedas and other Hindu scriptures, that is not speculation and it was never discovered by anybody. It's an eternal knowledge. So it's not the writings that someone just sat down one day and thought, okay, let me write something about God. No, it's an eternal knowledge produced on this earth planet by God himself. So it's the most reliable source to go to. That's why Ved says, Na Vedavin Manute Tam Vrihantam. You want to know God? You can know God through the Vedas because Vedas are God himself and they are produced by God in this world. So that's the highest category of proof that anyone can have about anything. So there's no need to worry that, oh, is what is, what is written in the Vedas or or Upanishads, is that, you know, is there any mistake? Is it going to mislead me? No, that's the exact description of who God is and how to get to God. Of course, that Shabda Praman is not just there for an intellectual knowledge that go and read Vedas and then you'll know God. No, no, no. It's a description that's supposed to show you the path. So you you're supposed to do what is said in Vedas, then you will reach God, then you will know God. You don't know God by reading the Vedas. You know God by following the path which is described in the Vedas. Just like I gave you a, an example yesterday of Lewis and Clark. Lewis and Clark exploring west of the Mississippi to the Pacific Ocean. So if someone uh, read their description and thinks, oh, now, now I know everything that's west of the Mississippi. 
No, you don't know it just because you read what they wrote, but if you go and you follow in their footsteps, then you can have the same experience they had. Then you can know what they know. So what's in our Hindu scriptures is not there just to read it and think you know something. No, you have to practice accordingly, and then you'll get to that point where you know God, and if you know God, you know everything. So even if a saint writes any book, a God-realized saint, he's writing from his experience of God. He's not just speculating about God. But if any ordinary material person writes a book about God, that would be pure speculation because he hasn't actually experienced God. So the books we rely on in Hinduism are revealed by divine personalities, so there's no speculation involved. It's perfect Shabda Praman, perfect proof of all of those things. So we have faith in what they say, and we lead our life accordingly. We follow the path to God according to their guidance, and then we reach our goal. Now, in addition to Hinduism, there are actually ten other main dharmas which are prominent in the world today. Eleven total, including Hinduism. So, those eleven are, first of all, Sanatana Vaidik Dharma, we call Hinduism nowadays. We also have Sikhism, Buddhism, Jainism, or you can say Sikh Dharma, Jain Dharma, Baudh Dharma, we also have Christian Dharma, Islam Dharma, we call Zoroastrianism or Parsi Dharma. We also have Jewish Dharma or Yahudi Dharma. We have Shinto Dharma. We have Tao or Laozi Dharma and we have Confucian Dharma. These are the 11 prominent dharmas in the world today, or religions in the world today. And it's interesting to know that all of these are included or incorporated into Sanatana Vaidik Dharma. Because everything has already been described in the Vedas. No one can invent a new philosophy or a new idea about God. Whatever there is to imagine about God, has already been described in the Vedas. And remember I explained two days ago that our Sanatan Vedic Dharma has two facets. We call Aparadharma and Paradharma. Physical Dharma for your body and spiritual Dharma for your soul. So the Aparadharma is the whole list of do's and don'ts for how to be a good person and what all of your duties are that you have to observe in the family, in the society, in all the different stages of your life. This is aparadharma. And the paradharma is very simple. It's bhakti, how to surrender to God. That is the paradharma. And all the other practices and obser uh, observances and rituals, they are aparadharma. So every other religion, all the other ten main religions, they can either be classified as included in the Aparadharma or included within the Paradharma of Hinduism. Nothing would be beyond that. 
So if you look at any religion, they all have some part of their religion that refers to being a good person. The do's and don'ts of being a good person. It may vary from culture to culture, but the basic idea is the same. How to be a good person, how to respect others, what your responsibilities and duties are. This is aparadharma. So there are such teachings in all religions. And then the paradharma is in certain religions there are some things explained about God. Who God is and how you can reach him. So that would be included in the paradharma of Hinduism. Now some people say all religions are the same. We have 11 dharmas in the world today. Someone may say, well, they're just all the same. We'll also be talking later this week about the path to God. Some people say all paths lead to the same place. So it doesn't matter what you do, just have faith in whatever you do and you'll get to the right place. So tonight we're going to talk about these religions. Are all religions actually the same? This is a convenient thing to say, first of all, if we don't have correct understanding what is in each religion, then it's a, it's a safe thing to say. You don't want to offend anybody. So we just say, oh, it's all the same. But it couldn't be more wrong. They're not the same at all. There are similarities in all religions, definitely, but no two religions are the same. Just take one basic thing, is every religion Ishwarvadi? Meaning, does every religion explain about God? No. There are several religions which are Anishwarvadi. Baudh Dharma doesn't explain anything about God. It doesn't even go to the extent of explaining about the soul. It only goes to the extent of your man and buddhi your mind, desires, those kind of things. I'm talking about the original teachings. Nowadays people borrow from here and there, they mix and match, they combine things. But the original teachings of Gautam Buddha did not include anything about Supreme God. So that is Anishwarvadi religion. Same thing in Jain Dharma. There is no actual description of Supreme God in Jain Dharma. Same thing in Confucian Dharma in China. There is no description of Supreme God. Same thing in Shinto Dharma. There is no description of Supreme God. Now, some religions like Christian Dharma, Islam Dharma, they are Ishwarvadi. They do explain something about Supreme God, but they are Avaidic. It means they don't refer to the Vedas as the ultimate proof for what they're saying. They refer to some other book. So some religions are Vaidic, some religions are Avaidic. Some religions are Ishwarvadi, some religions are Anishwarvadi. So right there we have so many differences already. So for now, leaving aside the Anishwarvadi dharmas, let's just focus on Ishwarvadi, those religions who believe in one supreme God. 
and there's something written in their books about Supreme God. Are all those religions the same? <clears throat> well, if we got them all together, let's say a representative from each of the Ishwarvadi religions like Jewish religion, Christian religion, Islam religion, Hindu religion, Sikh religion, if we got some representatives together, we could probably agree on certain things. Like if you asked each one of those religions, is God omnipresent? They would all agree, yes, God is everywhere. If you ask them, is God all-knowing? Does he know every single thought of every single person anywhere in this universe? Does he know every single thing that's happening everywhere in the universe? Everybody would say yes. So he's omnipresent. He's also omniscient or all-knowing. If you asked everybody, is God all-powerful? Sarvashaktiman. Omnipotent. Yes, everybody would agree. He is. If you asked, is God divine? Is he perfect? Is he unlimited and absolute? Everybody would agree. Yes, he is. If you asked, is God the one who keeps track of everybody's actions and then gives them uh, either reward or punishment for their actions. Everybody would say yes. Is God the creator of this universe? They would all say yes. Is God all kind and all gracious? They would all say yes. They would all agree. So all of the Ishwarvadi religions could agree on certain basic points, a general description of God. Even though they may not be able to find exactly where each of those things I mentioned is actually written in one of their books, in Hinduism you can actually find the actual evidence. Eko Deva Sarvabhuteshu Gurha Sarvabhyapi Sarvabhutantaratma Karma one single mantra from Shvetashvatropanishad covers all of these points I just made. God is one, Eko Devaha. He resides in the heart of every living being. He keeps track of all of their karmas. This whole universe exists within him. He is the origin and source of everything. He is all-powerful. He's omnipresent. All of that is said in this one single verse. So even though they may not be able to find the actual quotation, it may be written, it may not, in, in their religious texts, but they would all agree. If you ask them, they would all say, yes, that's a good description of God we can all agree on. But this is just a general description of God. Hinduism goes so much deeper than this. Hinduism tells things about God, details about God, which are not found described in any other religion, in any other religious text. Let me give you one single example. 
Vedavyasji in the Bhagavatam in one shlok he sums up all the forms of God in one shlok Vadanti Tat Tattva Vidas Tattvam Yajjnanam Advayam Brahmeti Paramatmeti Bhagavan Iti Shabdhyate now this is a little bit of an intellectual topic, so pay careful attention. Here in this verse, he says that one single Supreme God has three main forms. And he names them Brahma, Paramatma, and Bhagwan. See, he's going into more detail. He's saying God is still one, and God is supreme. So there's only one supreme God, but that supreme God can appear as Bhagwan, or as Paramatma, or as Brahma. As Brahma, what is his? What are his characteristics? What is the description of Brahma? So Hinduism says Brahma is Adrishta. Adrishtam abhyavaharya magrahya malakshanam achintya abhyapadeshya mekatma pratyayasaram prapancho pashamam shantam shivamadvaitam. Mandukya Upanishad says, For Brahma is formless. Why? Does he have no powers? Why would he be formless? Oh no, he has all the powers. He's still Sarva Shaktiman. But all of those powers are dormant. So because all of the powers are dormant, so all of God's qualities are inactive. So in that form, He has no form. As Brahm, He's Nirakar. He has no form. He's Nirguna, which means He has no qualities which are manifested. He is nirvishesh. It means there's no characteristic of him that you could even describe. Because all of his characteristics, all of his powers, everything about him is inactive. So he exists in an inactive state as Brahm. But that is not the only way that God exists. The same Supreme God simultaneously exists as Paramatma. As Paramatma, some of his powers are active, or most of them, you can say. Not all, but many of his powers are active. What powers? Ved says, Tasya Shaktayasvane Kadha Ahladini Sandhini Gyanecha Kriyadya Bahuvidha Shaktaya Radhika Upanishad says, God has unlimited divine powers. Some of the main ones are his power of divine bliss, Ahladini Shakti. Also, Sandhini Shakti, his power of almightiness, also called Aishwarya Shakti. His power of knowledge, Gyan Shakti or Samvit Shakti. His power of divine will, Icha Shakti. His power to perform actions, Kriya Shakti. Shveta Upanishad says, Parasya Shaktir Vividhai Vashruyate. God has uncountable powers, Vividhaiva. Swabhaviki Jnana Balak Kriya Cha. 
So they are eternally and naturally existing in God. They are Swabhaviki. So his Bal Shakti, Kriya Shakti, Gyan Shakti, all of these are his naturally and eternally existing divine powers. So as Paramatma, many of these powers are active. So as Paramatma, God actually has a form. Something cannot exist based on a formless state. Whatever formless thing exists, exists based on something with form. Let me give you an example. Sunlight. Although scientists say there are photons, so technically that's a thing with a form, but for us it's like an invisible, formless thing, light. Where does the light come from? Oh, it comes from the sun, which is an actual thing with a form. So see, the formless thing, the light, is established in the thing with form. So that's why Ved says, Purusham Brahma Yonim. The formless God is actually just an aspect of the personal form of God, whom we call Sakar Brahm, God with form. Formless God cannot exist independently. No, it's just like you can say the light from God's divine body, just like the sunlight. So don't think that God having a form in some way limits him. Sometimes people say, oh, how can God have a form? No, he's not like a material form. It's not that whatever you think that God looks like that. No, he has his divine form. Whatever that form is, Divyo Hyamurtaha Purusha. Mundaka Upanishad says his form is divine. Jobhi Ho, you can't imagine it. But it's divine. So he really actually has a divine form, which is also beyond human imagination. So don't think that just because God has a divine form that he's, in so, he's somehow material like we are. No, his form is also divine. So as Paramatma, he actually has a divine form. That form is Vishnu, the almighty form of God. Also Shiva, also Durga. These are actually the three main forms of almighty God. Vishnu, Shiva, and Durga. There are many other affiliated forms, like affiliated with Vishnu is Lakshmi and Saraswati, affiliated with Shiva, of course, is Hanumanji, Ganeshji, Kartikeya, Durga has many forms as well, Amba, Kali. So all of those forms of God are affiliated with one of these three main, Vishnu, Shiva, or Durga. So this is the form of Almighty God, Paramatma. As Paramatma, God is obviously manifesting many characteristics of His divine powers. He's showing His divine form. So what are the characteristics of His divine form? His beauty is unlimited. God's divine body is such that even if one hair from his head, you see, in our material existence, there's a God of love, Kamadeo. He's supposed to be the most beautiful person in this whole 
existence, in the material world. If even one hair from the head of God Vishnu were put in front of Kamdeva, he would faint in ecstasy. There's so much beauty even in a single hair from God's head. This is one of the qualities or characteristics of God's divine personality as Paramatma. So where was that divine beauty as Brahm? Well, it's still there, but it's inactive. So all of God's qualities and powers are there in Brahm, but they're all inactive. So you can't say that Brahm is beautiful or Brahm is powerful. No, you can't because that power is inactive or dormant. It's avyakt. Vyakt means manifested outwardly. Avyakt means it's there, but it's not manifested outwardly. So you can say Brahm is avyakt. Shaktik Brahm. The powers are there, but they're not manifested. And as Paramatma, the same powers which are there in Brahm, they're manifested outwardly. Almost all of them, many of them are. So, Almighty God, Vishnu, Shiva, Durga, also we call them Paramatma. They are active. It is Vishnu who creates this whole universe. You might say, oh, I thought Brahma created the universe. He only creates a little Brahmand, one planetary system. Vishnu is the creator of the entire endless universe. So, obviously he's active. He does things. He monitors all the actions of all the souls and gives them the consequences of their good and bad actions. In the end, he destroys the universe. Again, he creates it. So these are some of the characteristics and actions of Supreme Almighty God, Paramatma. But there's one important power which is not manifested in Almighty God, in Paramatma, but is manifested in Bhagwan. That is his Prema Shakti, his power of divine love. The power of divine love is the essence of God's blissfulness. So that's a very special divine power. And when God manifests that, He actually becomes playful and loving. Not just serious, like if you, if, if you attained God Vishnu, and you got to go to Baikunt Lok and sit in His Darbar, and have His divine vision, you would experience unlimited divine bliss by seeing His almighty beauty and glory. But you could not playfully or intimately interact with him. That is only possible with Bhagwan. So who is Bhagwan? We have two main forms of Bhagwan, Bhagwan Ram and Bhagwan Shri Krishna. They are also called Leela Avatar because they're actually manifesting this power of divine love, the Prema Shakti. So they do playful Leelas when they come here on the earth planet. No other form of God does this, where they perform so many different kinds of leelas and the, the saints get to take part in those leelas. And in doing so, they get so close to God, they get to interact with Him, they get to have a loving relationship with Him. So there are four relationships you can have with Bhagwan, which you cannot have with Paramatma. And there's no relationship with Brahm. <laughs> with Brahm, 
Brahm is formless. And those who attain Brahm just merge into him and have no experience ever. So there's no relationship with a formless divine existence. With Almighty God there's one relationship called Shant Bhav. That means he's like your king and you're a subject in his kingdom. So just like you would never uh, consider, oh, let's just go and knock on the door of the President of the United States. I just want to have a little chat with him. You would never be so casual or intimate with the President. In the same way with Paramatma, Vishnu, Shiva, Durga, you would feel more like that, like, oh, they're supreme God, and I get to sit in their darbar, but that's it. So you have that kind of uh, loving, but it's a formal love for them. It's a formal and distant and restricted relationship. But with Bhagwan, with Ram or Krishna, there's more. There are four other bhav. You can have... Dasya bhav, where you get to personally serve them. Sakya bhav, where you're actually their friend. Now you get to the point where you can say, oh, I just want to go and sit with him and talk like friends. You can do that with Krishna if you want. Vatsalya bhav means you could be their mother. You could actually love them like a mother or father, and they would love you and act with you in return as if they're your son. Or Madhurya Bhav, when they're your Priyatam, they're your beloved. You can actually have these relationships with Bhagwan Shri Ram in a still a slightly restricted way, not the Madhurya Bhav, but the Dasya, Sakya, Vatsalya. And with Krishna, you can also you add the fourth one, the Madhurya Bhav. And there's no restriction in any way. You can love him any way you want, the most intimate relationship. So you see there are so many differences. One single Supreme God, He has an, a nirakar aspect, a formless aspect, where all of His characteristics and powers are dormant. But the same Bhagwan also manifests some of those powers and characteristics as Almighty God, Paramatma, and the same Supreme God as Ram or Krishna, manifests in full all of the divine powers. That is why Krishna is called Purnatam Purushottam Brahm or Purnavatar. Purn meaning he manifests all of the powers. So Hinduism teaches that one single God appears in many forms simultaneously. So these are not different gods. This is one single God who, because he's unlimited, can have unlimited forms. So if you say God can't have a form, you're limiting God. Of course God can have a form. God doesn't just have one form, he has uncountable forms, yet he's only one. And he doesn't switch back and forth. It's not like one minute he's Bhagwan, then he becomes Paramatma, then he becomes Brahm. No, he's simultaneously Bhagwan and Paramatma and Brahm. So he has all of those forms simultaneously. And although his forms are unlimited, six are main. Krishna, Ram, Vishnu, Shiva, Durga and Nirakar Brahm.
and all the other forms are affiliated to one of these six. These are the six main. So if someone wants to ask, but which is the form who appears in all of these forms? It's Krishna. He is Purnavatar, he is Purnatam Purushottam Brahm. In him all the powers are fully manifested. If he is slightly restricting his power of divine love, he is Ram. If he is fully restricting his power of divine love, so he is only Almighty, then he is Vishnu or Shiva or Durga. And if he, if all of his powers are inactive, he is formless God, he is Brahm. He is all of these simultaneously. So although they are all internally one, it's in fact a grave spiritual transgression to think that one is better than another or one is different from another. They're not. Internally they're absolutely one. But externally there's a difference in what they're manifesting. So there's also a difference in what a soul is going to attain when you attain one of these forms. Don't just think, oh, it's all the same. Because it's all Krishna. He says in Gita, prapadyante He says, I have no preference. However you surrender to me, I'll come to you like that. But it's me, it's not someone else. If you think of me as Shiva, I'll come to you as Shiva. If you think of me as Vishnu, I'll come to you as Vishnu. If you think of me as Krishna, I'll come as Krishna. That's fine. So it's all one internally. They're all, in fact, Krishna. But that doesn't mean you will attain the exact same thing no matter what form of God you attain. If you attain formless God, you'll get no experience because you'll merge into God and you'll also be like in a dormant, inactive state just like Nirakar Brahm. If you attain Almighty God, any of the forms of Almighty God, like Vishnu, Shiva, Durga, you will actually experience unlimited divine bliss, but you will not get the experience of that personal relationship with God. Then if you attain Ram, you will get the experience of a personal relationship, but with a little bit of restriction in how he would interact with you. And with Krishna and with Radha Krishna, there would be no restriction at all. So that would be like the full bloom flower, the full bloom of God's actual divine love and, and the total revelation of his loving personality is as Radha Krishna. <clears throat> so it's a simultaneous situation where you have differences but oneness at the same time. Which is why God is beyond human intellect. How can you have oneness and differences? How can God simultaneously exist in many forms and be omnipresent in all of those forms? It's completely beyond human intellect, but he's God. So that's how he is. And if you want to understand that, you have to follow the path to God. You have to do bhakti, surrender to him. When he graces you and he gives you a divine mind and divine senses, then you can directly see and experience and know all of that for yourself. So imagine, I just took 20 minutes 
to explain one shloka of Bhagavatam, which is giving us a little bit more detail about God. There's so much more to know. I just scratched the surface of what Hinduism tells us about God. Now I challenge you to go into any other religion on this earth planet and find even one one hundredth of what I just explained to you about God. The detail is not there. They go to the extent of what I started with, that God is omnipresent, God is all-powerful, God is all-knowing, God is all-kind, this general description you could find. But Hinduism goes deeper and gives much more detail. So it's like the difference between saying color and the color blue or the color red. Let me explain. Color is an abstract concept. Color does not exist. Okay? The color blue exists. The color red exists. But just color in general does not exist. It's just a, a catch-all word we use to mean the color blue, the color red, the color yellow, and all the other colors that we can make combining those three. In the same way, fruit does not exist. I challenge somebody to bring me fruit. Nobody sitting here can bring me fruit. You can bring me an apple. You can bring me a banana. You can bring me a mango. Nobody can bring me fruit because fruit does not exist. It's just a general term which indicates all the different specific kinds of fruit. So not exactly like this, but something like this is when, let's say, in English we say God. This is just a general word. God does not exist. Krishna exists. Ram exists. Vishnu exists. Nirakar Brahm exists. So this is the actual specific description we find in Hinduism. But if someone just says God, that's a general vague term just indicating there's some supreme power. So God is not an actual thing. Okay, you need to be more specific. Just like fruit is not an actual thing. Or color is not an actual thing. If I say paint this wall a color, nobody can paint it a color. You can paint it a specific color. So nobody can attain God. You can attain a specific form of God. You can attain Krishna. You can attain Ram. You can attain Vishnu. You can attain Nirakar Brahm. But you cannot attain God. So you need the specific description. Also, just like... See, think of these three forms of God described in Hinduism. Bhagwan, Paramatma, and Brahm. To understand how that is so, think of it like water. Water has three states in which it exists. Liquid state, we call water. Solid state, we call ice. And vapor state, we call steam or water vapor. Is it the very same thing? Yes. It's all H2O. Substantially, internally, it's the same thing. But in three different states. So similarly... Shri Krishna 
Bhagwan, he exists as Bhagwan. He also exists as Paramatma. He also exists as Brahm. But don't think that the experience of all three would be exactly the same. Just like if uh, on a hot day I ask you bring me some ice. I want some ice to cool me down. And you bring me some steam instead. And I say, but I asked for ice. And you say, what? It's the same thing. It's all H2O. Just take the steam. It doesn't work that way. It is the same thing, but it has a different use. So something like this, loving God, Bhagwan, Ram, Krishna, or Almighty God, Paramatma, or formless God, your experience if you attain these is not going to be the same, even though internally, substantially, they're exactly one and the same. But you will not have the same experience. So you have to be specific. Your goal actually has to be pinpointed. If someone thinks, I'm just going to attain God, they won't attain anything. You have to know, I want Nirakar Brahm. Or I want Almighty God. Okay, you want Almighty God? Which form of Almighty God? I want Bhagwan in his loving form as Krishna. Okay, you still have to decide now. Now what relationship do you want with Krishna? Do you want Sakyabhav relationship, Vatsalyabhav, Madhuryabhav? You have to be that specific in your goal. Just like uh, if you have a bow and arrow and you just fire the arrow somewhere not even knowing where your target is, do you think you'll hit the target? No, not in a million years. So our target, as far as our divine goal, the goal of our life, it has to be specific. We have to see the target and aim in the right direction. So just saying, I want God, that's not good enough. That's why Hinduism gives all the detail. This is the full description of God, and these are your options. You can attain God in these different ways, and this is the path to get there. Hinduism gives all of that knowledge. This is all part of the paradharma. In addition to that, of course, there's the full description of aparadharma, how to be a good person in the world, which I told you that description, more or less, in one form or another, comes in every religion. Every religion teaches to be a good person. But the paradharma, that description we have in Hinduism, there's nothing like that in any other religion. So although we respect all religions, although there is something good in every religion, although there are many similarities you could find that are, that are true in each religion, in all religions, but you can't just say all religions are the same. There are big differences. So Hinduism gives the most detail, goes the deepest into the philosophy of who is God and how to find God. You won't find anything even scratching the surface of what is in Hinduism. So we still have a couple of more questions regarding this. And one big one is that if the full description is there in Hinduism already, why do we have other religions? It tends to be confusing. So I'll address this briefly tomorrow, and then I'll go on 
to the next logical topic. Now that we've covered, what I wanted to do was start by removing doubts and questions that people may have about Hinduism, its place in the world, the validity or authenticity of the Hindu scriptures, so that we have faith in Hinduism, we have faith in the Hindu scriptures and saints. So now the next logical question is, what is the aim of our life? Hinduism gives us all those details, so now let's get specific. What are we supposed to be aiming for? So I'll also answer that question starting tomorrow. And then we'll talk about the next logical thing, which is how to get there. So we'll finish tonight by doing a kirtan, a uh, very uh, fun and playful kirtan, Nache Nandanandan, Te 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 Te. So child Krishna, imagine Supreme God, but when he's manifesting the loving side of his personality, he'll dance as a little boy to please his mother. So in this kirtan, Shri Krishna is dancing. So you can imagine that you're there watching him dance as well.
नाचे मधुसूदन थे 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 नाचे मधुसूदन थे 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 नाचे अशुदासुवन थे 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 शुदासुवन थे 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 नंद आंगन थे 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 
Hey, 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 hey. 